What's up everybody? Hello and welcome to episode number 176 of the VK Bros with Jason and Alex Von Cannell. Massively packed show as usual again for you today. Uh, to all of our new viewers, listeners, etc. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Welcome. It is lovely to have you here. Well, it's and funny because I was trying to rail someone into um, subscribing to our podcast hmm. and when he looked at he went, oh, are you on Spotify? I'm like, yeah, we're on Spotify. P.S. Spotify is the worst platform to listen to anything on, just so everyone knows. Yeah. And, oh, we're video, Rumble, mm-hmm. thumbs up, audio, get a podcasting 2.0 app. Yeah. Okay, I'm using, what am I using at the moment? I'll just change that. I think we've got Podcast awesome. Guru. I'm using Podcast, I'm using Podcast Guru. Yeah, it's great. Hmm. And did you notice it's got um, streaming stats capability? Yep, I have noticed that. I've also noticed that a lot of the shows that I listen to actually appear on there earlier than they do on Apple Podcasts. Yeah, yeah. Mm. But he, he said something funny. He's like, whoa, 170-something episodes. There's heaps of episodes. And I'm, I'm like, look, our show's not the kind of one where you need to start from the start. It's not a story that we've, we're building. You can go back, for yeah. sure. But it's really a just dissection of what we're doing, of what's happening for the week, mm-hmm. the hot topics for the week. It is a nice little archive that we can go back. Totally, yeah, yeah. It's one of the things that I'm most proud of about it is we started it during the pandy, not expecting to talk about COVID at all, and then when everything turned mental, we just couldn't help it. But at least we've archived that entire period of yeah. time, which I think is super important. Um, speaking of things that we're going to be archiving in time today, a uh, few stories we're going to go through. Um, first of all, a couple of political stories from Australia. Uh, Queensland's got a new premier big news. Uh, Also in uh, Victoria there was a bit of a leak about how Daniel Andrews government profiled its own citizens during COVID. It's quite interesting. Uh, Got another story here about Google's AI Bard uh, says that a certain right wing uh, right wing content creator should be put to death and have his children taken away from him. So that's a very, very interesting story in itself. Uh, And also a very special movie produced by the Obamas, which had a very uh, interesting coincidence after, well, in the week of its release, which is very interesting as well. Where would you like to start, Alex? The weather. Let's start the weather as we usually do. I just, okay, it's a bugbear of mine. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say it every week, but they just keep doing it. Cairns, right? Cairns was supposed to have tropical cyclone who gives a fuck yep. has gone gone through category one it's a category one. Oh, they believe it's going to be downgraded by the get by the time but it's category one yeah yeah batten down the hatches go and do this go and do that now i have a friend that lives well a, a, a friend on social media and he was posting stuff up like everyone gone mental that, that sold all the bread in all the place a week ago it's like everyone just needs to calm down like you know it's just weather and I was like, let's see how this pans out. And by the time it got to land, it was a low pressure system. Yeah. Which is weather. Now, it rained a lot, 100 mils of rain. That's mm-hmm. a lot of rain, okay? We've had a lot of rain before. Yeah, But fine. Sunrise was adamant to send Matt Shervington up to stand in the rain next to a fallen down tree and go, oh, but it could have been. Like, look at this, right? They really tried to. Did hype they send Shervo in particular because they're hoping that there was like a body of water he could stick his dong in, so he could show you how deep it actually was? If he stuck his dong in the water, the the 
sea level would rise. Yeah, if anyone doesn't know what we're talking about, go back and watch... Was it Sydney Olympics? Um, Australian sprinter Matt Shervington. Go and watch him sprinting in his suit and with his dong just... He is stacked. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's why his eyes are so gaunt. It's just like all the skin and the muscle muscle tissue just holding his It's the up. blood flow, man. All the blood yeah, flows yeah, in his yeah. dong all the time. Good on him. Shout Good out to Shervo. But this, this shock tactic... And also, I'm noticing on my weather app on my phone, it's like mm. severe storm. And then as the day goes on, the severe storm, like, you know, each hour, yeah. it just gets pushed further and further away until it's gone. Yeah, 100%. 100%. But every day they get to show black clouds, lightning, you know, and it's just not happening. No, but, but we are getting little bits of rain and stuff as well. And I can't remember if I mentioned this on the podcast last week. I don't think I did, but uh, when I was jumping in and out of the car, I ended up catching this story on ABC Radio about how... They were talking about they were talking to a some chief climate scientist from one of the Australian universities, and they were asking them about how you know we're in El Nino at the moment, and El Nino typically brings drought and lack of rain and hotter temperatures, and that hasn't happened this year. We've had all this extra rain that we weren't expecting, uh, and he it was so funny. He's just gone into it and talked about how uh, El Ninos can differ. So it's like, yeah, it's just the weather, for basically. But the thing that she said was interesting. So like, like what you said last week about how it affected you because you had a client that cancelled an appointment because they didn't want to come into the city when they thought it was going to storm. And another thing happened. A drive day got cancelled. There was supposed to be a race day at, yep. the, um, at a Queensland Raceway, and they cancelled it. And then nothing happened. Yeah. Well, even worse, uh, there was a, they, they mentioned a story on this, on this radio show about farmers a whole bunch of farmers went and sold all of their cows for, like, pennies on the dollar because they thought that there was drought coming. They couldn't feed, feed their animals. That's interesting. So that's, that's major, right? Like, because you've got to think back to the last time we had El Nino when there was drought and we did have all of these animals dying because not only couldn't you feed them, but you couldn't sell them either because they were so gaunt. Um, so all these, uh, all these farmers are now crying out going, hey, we just went and sold off all of our livestock thinking that they weren't going to make it through the season and we've had a month worth of rain. <laughs> like, what is going on? So there's yeah, massive real-world effects to these... these uh, I just don't remember... It, I don't remember there being such a difference between what was reported on the weather to what the reality of the weather was. Yeah, I, I don't I think wonder, it ever has been. I, so... Do they have a model that they're using that's just completely fucked, or are they, uh, or is it as 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 literal as no, we're just going to lie about it. We're just going like, is it that? Um, well, there uh, are upfront. There are a few things that I definitely think that there is an element of the media just going, hey, we're just going to blatantly lie about this because it's going to get ratings. And the reason why I say that is because of how they've changed. When, when the weatherman or the weather girl is pointing at the board behind her, they've changed the colours of all the regions on the map yeah. from what were... Like, if, you, if it was 32 degrees, right? 32 degrees is fairly hot, but nowhere near hot when it comes to an Australian summer. Back in the day, 10, 20 years ago, that would be showing as probably, what, gr- like light green or maybe yellow on, on their weather maps. And now, 32 degrees shows as, like, bright red. Like, danger, you know, it's so hot. It's 32 you know, degrees. I have, I, have an, I have anecdotal evidence that, this, that that's changed. 
over time. Mm. Because I used to make jokes all the time about the bomb, you know, the Bureau of Meteorology, mm-hmm. uh, that radar scan. Yep. And the yellow ones, I used to say, those are the ones you need to watch out for, the golden showers. <laughs> that was my joke. I said it every time. And yeah. I haven't had to say it that often because there, there has been, like, less golden showers now. <laughs> but everything's, like, red. They're sh- they, no, they're talking. Actually, that's interesting. So they, they speak like there is severe weather. Yeah. And yet the the like the bomb stuff is not even showing it because I can't make my golden shower joke anymore. Yeah, well that's the thing. They've just they've just shifted the the spectrum over a notch. Sort of mm-hmm. sort of like what we say about like leftist and right side politics. Like, you know, a lot of people who used to think that they were in the centre, the left has gone so far to the left that they look like they're far right now, even though they haven't changed, it's the left that's changed. Yeah. Um they've done that with the weather too, where all of a sudden like, I'm, I remember being in, you know, uh, a teenager or even early after high school where on the Gold Coast, you would say it's hot if it was like 40 degrees. And I remember being in high school that there was, um, at, at, the lo- at the state high school that we went to, there was no rule about sending kids home when it was too hot, mm. but at the, at the college down the road there was. And I think it was if it got over 35 degrees or something like that they would send kids home. And there was all these days where it was getting over 35 degrees and we were like, this is this sucks because you're getting text messages from your mates yeah. at the other school going, we got sent home for the day. But that was, what, how, what 15 years ago? Yeah. And the temperature hasn't changed. And if well, you want to know from someone whether or not it's too hot, talk to me. So my wife's on holidays now, which means I'm working every single day, about eight hours a day, in like outside, in the elements... And it's not that bad. Like, your boy's got a little bit of sunburn from the week, because I have gotten a yeah. lot of sun. But if it was as hot and catastrophic as what the media is making out to be, there's no way that I'd be able to do a full week's worth of work. It'd be impossible. Um, it's definitely been... Like, I've been crook this week, so I've, I've felt the heat. Yeah. Uh, the It definitely feels like more uh, humid. Like, it feels really humid. Yep, because it's, it's been it's some been, rain. Yeah, but it feels like, you know, what's supposed to be storm weather. So I kind of get I kind of get where, you know, I look outside now, it's really hazy outside now. It looks like it's going to storm. Yeah. Yet they said it was going to storm via the app at 11 o'clock. Yeah, I know. And it's now 1 o'clock. Yep. And they've just moved it back to 7 o'clock tonight. Yep. And they still call it 80% chance of... Well, what, yeah, because it like, is 80% chance metric? of rain within a 24-hour period. Is that what is the metric? I'd be interested to know what the metric is. Mm. But it, look, I. It's just something I want to keep an eye on because mm. now, I I um, I had some of the young guys in the shed, mm-hmm. and I and I was talking about it, and they said, "Oh yeah, like I've noticed the weather thing," and I'm like, "That's interesting because you don't mm-hmm. consume mainstream media, mm-hmm. so where do you get it from?" And he goes, "Well, when we're swiping through Instagram or TikTok." the news ads, the news articles show up. Yeah, yep, yep. So they are being exposed. Remember I asked last week, I wasn't sure. Mm-hmm. Um, they are exposed. So they are seeing the, the, that stuff. So it's not just us boomers that are that are affected by um, this negative information. Yeah, yeah, of course. They, they always find a way to get to you. Now, did you, did we talk last week? I can't remember. No agenda talking about how at the end of 2025 is when the next solar cycle. Yes, 
Yeah. Yeah. So we didn't okay, talk about it, but I did listen to it. Okay. So interesting note. So one, a theory that why the government's pushing so, or governments around the world and all these organisations around the world are pushing so hard about all this climate stuff now is because essentially it's mainly they sorry, can make, specifically not the climate stuff, specifically the green energy revolution that we're all being forced into right now. I'd say it's one and the same. I'd say, I'd say it's not they, they use they use climate alarmism to push the green agenda. Yeah, but they have what you're talking about here, they have to push the green energy revolution because as you're about to say, the theory is that you're about to hit the end of that solar cycle and therefore temperatures will start cooling down. So it, they have to do it right now so then it looks like yeah, they so fix the problem. Yeah, so shit on but yeah. Yeah, yeah so... Steps so all over it. You're welcome. Yeah, but it's, it's about... So, okay, my story is <laughs> ramp up the, the catastrophization of weather yep. and why you need why solar panels and why wind and why this and invest billions or trillions of dollars of taxpayer money into these programs mm -hmm. so that everyone can get paid on the way through and yep. then when the, the the temperatures naturally decrease at the end of 2025 mm -hmm. they can say hey look we did that we exactly did that. because if they don't spend any money now and if we do nothing and it gets to 25 and it goes yeah we can go oh it's cyclic oh yeah. that's a yeah, yeah that's a cycle. which an interesting wrinkle to that story too though is i saw a senate estimates hearings uh from i think it was jared rennick again maybe last week where he was questioning some of the climate czars or whatever in the government and the funny thing is is in the last, I think, when, when was the Paris Accord signed? Was that 2021, maybe? Yeah. Anyway, whenever, since that was signed, global carbon emissions have gone up. So it's, oh. even, so it's even funnier that, like, since they made all these agreements to cut, to, to cut, cut carbon emissions, carbon emissions have actually increased globally, and by a lot of these Western countries too. So it's not just like China and India have increased theirs, and therefore it's counteracted what the West is doing. No, no, in the West it's increased as well, but you're still going to get to that point in 2025 where the temperature does start to reverse and, and go backwards again. It, I mean, credit to the guys at No Agenda, and I think they've nailed it. It's all this is just trying to rush to settle on a carbon tax price. Yeah. Because once you can put a price on the carbon and you can start selling those credits, mm -hmm. it's helpful at all. It's just a license to print money. Are you still with CBA, Commonwealth Bank? Yes. Have you heard about their credit card? I sent you to the oh, group. I sent to the group too. chat. Yeah, yeah. So okay. So for those who don't know, there was a there was a um, something on X that talked about an American bank that was now uh, gathering carbon consumption data off purchases to then push onto its investment arm to say, like, your company's not worth investing in because you use too much carbon, right? Mm -hmm. So that goes against the, ES, the whole idea of ESG or environmental social governance. Yep. Now, I had said on this show before that I had thought I'd seen on ComBank my ComBank app, that there was a carbon score. I got a thing, one, a notification saying, you've used X amount of carbon. I've never been able to bring it back up again. Mm. Then I saw someone else on X show it, and I'm like, okay, I'll search for it. So I went to the search bar, and there it was. The data's being collected. Mm -hmm. And they said, so I was using 800 
kilograms per, or tons per, or whatever in a month. And then in October, I was on a flight and I used like three times that just to fly uh-huh. to Sydney and back. But they said my normal, uh, they, they said the average consumption was like 1,200 units and my average is 800 units. Yep. But they said my 800 units is the equivalent of me driving 14,000 kilometers in a car. Right. Which, it, that, it sounds insane to me. Yeah, it does sound insane, but also even if that was the case, and then it makes you ask the question about every single time there's some sort of climate summit and leaders from all around the world take their private jets there, like, they don't give a fuck yeah. about the climate. They don't. But I, but I said that to people and they weren't alarmed by it at all. But my question is, why would they bother collecting that data? So how much... Okay, so, so to paint a picture, the original COVID safe app that, that detected not one COVID outbreak mm-hmm. cost $50 million. Yep. The Queensland dry, digital driver's license, which is basically a JPEG of your, of your driver's license... Yep. Less value than an cost NFT. Cost $50 million. Yep. How much do you think Combank spent to be able to gather your carbon data? Yeah, so this is... This is well, hold on, but so why it can't be for nothing? It's not, it's not a for nothing. No, no, it's it's, it's yeah. a first step. Num- number one, we are in this uh, pro green social climate at the moment. So part of me goes, it's a commercial decision because you're going to attract the greenies to go and bank with CBA, the people who want to feel like they're doing the right thing. Yeah, that's part of it. The second part is, though, is, and this is in a similar vein that, to something we've spoken about before, uh, about certain terminology that happens to be created, and it comes from somewhere that you don't expect it to come from, but it's got a bit of a, a seedy motive behind it. So we've spoken to many, many times, especially over the last three years, about uh, the term conspiracy theorist and where that term actually came from. Mm-hmm. So it was invented by the CIA, literally um, after the Kennedy assassination, designed to discredit anyone who spoke against government narratives. And that's, yeah. that's exactly what we saw happen during COVID. We see it even, even still now. So that's where that term came from. Um, do you know where the term individual carbon footprint came from? Uh, I, yes, tell me the story. I think I, yeah, I think I know where so, it is. So, again, don't quote me on this because I'm not 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure it was BP, British Petroleum, yeah. in a, um, like a shareholder document or something like that, where essentially th- this was, I don't know, 15, maybe even 20 years ago when we were first starting to demonise carbon emissions. And what they were basically trying to do is create a way to say that uh, carbon emissions from a BP product, it's not the responsibility of BP, it's the responsibility of the end user of the BP product using the product. Yeah, so they they're, created, blaming, they're, they're blaming us. That's right. So they created this individual carbon score. So if it got to a point where maybe there's going to be a carbon tax, that would be paid by the end user, not by British Petroleum. Yeah. But then it gets even worse too, because obviously CBA is putting in that infrastructure now, which means all of the big banks are going to put that infrastructure in. And this all goes back to this move to digital ID, remove cash, have all your transactions logged. You're going to roll in your carbon credit score into it, and that's all going to be rolled into your social credit score, like what happens in China. 
And all the only reason why they're going to have all of these different data points on us is to charge us more money for being naughty. That's all it's going to come down to. But but uh, it's worse than that because they will change the definition of what naughty is. That's right. Because naughty will be you drove outside your suburb. Yeah. Naughty will be you haven't. Yeah, I like I could easily see a world where like. Uh, you still drive a petrol car. Like we've noticed that you're you're buying petrol and you haven't bought an electric car. Yep. That's a detriment to your social credit score. Yeah, hundred percent. They won't call it a social credit score. They'll call it your, your credit score. Yeah, and it'll be it'll be something to do with being more convenient for you and environmentally friendly and blah blah blah. But it's just a way of controlling people. That's all yeah. it's going to come down to. But it's it is very very crazy, and people aren't alarmed enough. The fact. The fact that I brought it up to a bunch of people and they're like, oh yeah, I just don't see that as a problem. And you just go, well, but how did they get there? Why would they do that? Like, I'm not spending $50 million to have a cool display of something that That's I'm never right. going to use. Yeah. No way. Yeah, as no a business, way. you're not spending that kind of money unless there's a payoff coming back the other way. Yeah. And, um, yeah, my, I mean, we'll keep banging on about it, but isn't it hilarious that the climate people... Do the most flying, and my I did one flight, Brisbane, Sydney, and back. Yep. And I went twice as much as what my recommended daily consumption would be. Yep. And these guys are private, flying private, so they have a whole jet to themselves, which That's is right. like hundreds of times worse. Yep. To go and talk, to, or do something that we like. You and I don't drive to do this. We'll no. Talk, like, like why can't out. they do these meetings over Zoom? Yeah. Well, because they've got to do that special handshake when they get in. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, they obviously have all the adrenochrome on site, too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah lots, of, lots of baby stem cells for you. Yeah, look, let's, let's segue this into um, the story about Obama's movie. Okay. So it, it's, not, it's not technically a movie that was written by Barack Obama or anything like that, but what's the movie called? Is it Leave the Leave, to Leave the World Behind? I it's think? called Leave the World Behind. I will watch the trailer. Let's yeah, watch let's watch the trailer. trailer. That'll, that'll be a good lead-in. Girl, there's something wrong with the TV. It's all messed up. I wonder what that means. Well, what could it mean? It could be over in a couple of hours. You know something. I'm sure this will turn out to be a big nothing. We'll look back on this one day and laugh, I guarantee you. I think that ship is heading towards us. Oh. What? What, what? What does that mean? We shouldn't speculate. Haven't you been picking up on what's going on out there? I don't want to pay the cover nothing. I don't think this is nothing. We're in this together until things get back to normal. There is no going back to normal. Get the car! Whoever's pulling the strings wants us to finish it. We're going to be okay, right? Yeah. Ta, ta, ta. Goom, 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 goom. So I watched the movie when it first came out. Now, I didn't know at the time that the Obamas had anything to do with it. Right. But I knew 15 minutes in, I went, oh, I know what this is. Mm. Like, this is a nudge. This is a nudge. And, and I watch it with Tasha, so like, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, this is the World Economic Forum's agenda yeah. for a massive cyber attack. So can you explain the plot to people, especially for audio listeners who couldn't just see that clip? The story is uh, a family uh, get an Airbnb in the countryside 
for the weekend, this beautiful mansion. And then their phones disconnect and they don't know what's happening and they go into town and no one's in town. And then the guy that owns the house comes in with his daughter and goes, ah, yeah, we were in the city. Can we stay at the, our place, please? Like, because there's some weird stuff happening in the city. And it turns out that there's been a massive cyber attack and the, the power's out, the communications are out, the satellites have fallen out of the sky. Um, and the, the movie, like, basically ends with, you know, like explosions happening in the city. Mm -hmm. And the big criticism from, like, it got a very poor rating. They, were, they think it was too long because they dragged it on. Mm -hmm. But I like that. I like it. I like a slow burn. I like a really long lead up to, like, a big crescendo. That's my style of movie, but I get why other people wouldn't like it. Mm -hmm. um, but I knew, I was like, oh, okay. And because I've been watching X-Files, I'm <laughs> seeing a lot of this, yeah. right? Where... A lot of these things are being dramatized. There is movies, and I think I, I was talking to Tasha about this. She's got a different view to me. She thinks this is like normalizing it so that mm -hmm. we expect this stuff to happen. I think it's something slightly different because I don't think you'd want to normalize it. I think if you're going to do something as shocking as what we think they want to want to do, you just do it, and make, and then the chaos is what you'd want. So I don't know how calming people into it would would be beneficial. What I think it is is when a conversation comes up about these theories of dystopian worlds, the person that the, the, the NPC you're talking to just goes, yeah, that's a, that's a plot to a movie. Mm. Like idiot. Like that's, you're talking about the X-Files. Oh, you're talking about leads the world behind. That's yeah. a movie. And just like, I think Kanye said it about um, the movie Black Panther. He's like, if you search Black Panther now, it only shows the movie about a cat instead of the Black Panther movement from the oh, yeah. 1970s, yeah. right? So in, in this digital age, it's removed the focus. It hijacked and it, the social justice movement sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, that's what I think these things are about. Mm. Um, I'm probably a little bit more on Tasha's bus with this one. I think it's kind of like a soft open, to use like a sales term, where you introduce the idea so that when it does actually happen, and this happened within the same week that this movie was released, uh, it's like it's less surprising for people, so people don't reject it openly. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason why we're bringing this up, obviously, the, if the Obamas had nothing to do with this, no one would give a shit. But the, the fact that the Obamas pro produced this movie, well, I, I think they're the executive producers or something, yeah, and then in the same week... America was hit with a massive cyber attack. It's in line with these circumstances have happened before. So in during the pandemic, one of the biggest movies that was released during that time was a movie called Contagion, which is about a virus. And so, again, just a coincidence, but it all happened all around the same time. There's also been similar films about... Um, I can't remember what the movie was called, but there was one that came out in early 2001, which was about hackers who had taken over a plane and were trying to fly it into the World Trade Center. No, that was that was the pilot for uh, that was a pilot for an offshoot of the X Files. Ah, uh, yes, yes, sorry. Or the Lone Gunman. Yes, yes, correct, correct. So that happened in the early in early 2001, and obviously in in September 2001, you had September 11. So it's it's eerie. It is really, really eerie. But explain why then. Why, but why, if you... Okay, let's say there is a, a level of people who are pulling the strings, right? Mm -hmm. 
why would you why would you hint to what you're going to do? I I think it's if you watch some of these movies, I think what tends to happen is in and this is in my opinion, when the thing happens usually like the government or the military or someone gets involved and is doing these things to help stop it and sort of save the day. So I feel like it's a way of soft soft opening on the subject itself and then delivering the message of when this happens, trust the authorities. Well, I can tell you that did not happen in this movie. I didn't? There was no resolution. I think there's going to be another movie. There was no resolution to the movie. Yeah, okay. And there was none of that... Like, I would have copped that where you can kind of say, oh, you know, uh, good always triumphs over evil. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would get that. But that definitely didn't happen, at least in this one. I don't know if they're going to make another one, but mm-hmm. it didn't happen in this one. Um, I haven't found the pilot. I don't know if the pilot's even available um, for the lone gunman. It's fake. But I would have thought... So, I, I don't know. If it was me and you want chaos, let chaos reign. Just do the thing. Yeah. If I had the power to shut down the grid, I'd shut down the grid and watch the ants run. Yeah, but like, like I said, it's sort of like a, uh, an instruction manual for if this thing happens or when this thing happens, make sure you listen to the authorities because the authorities are going to come and save you. And obviously that doesn't seem to be the case with this movie, but that's the impression that I've had in the past, especially from a lot of movies that come out of Hollywood. I think it is available. The pilot did come out. Yeah, it was aired. And it is Chris Carter who is the who is um the brains behind X Files. I'll watch it. Right. I'll watch it and I'll come back to you. I'll do it. Okay, you, you can give us a report on that. <coughs> yeah. Um can you like you said earlier in this piece where you're like, Oh, I know what this is this is the WEF agenda. Can you bring up the Klaus clip? Yeah, sorry. So I didn't <clears throat> when I was when I was explaining to Tasha when I said fifteen minutes of the movie. Oh, I know what this is. This is the West agenda. She's like, "What do you mean?" And I was like, "Okay, well, let's. I'll show you." So West for anyone who is uninitiated, which I'm assuming is no one who listens to this show, is a World Economic Forum, uh, who is headed up by this lovely gentleman named Klaus Schwab. He's got a really soothing voice. He definitely feels like the world's not going to end when you listen to his orders. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't sound like a bombshell at all. Digital services and infrastructure has exponentially increased due to the unprecedented connectivity which we have established now. From the adoption of large-scale working from home arrangements to the use of cloud services, e-commerce, e-health, e-education. Many tech leaders have noted that within a couple of months, we achieved such advancements in digital transformation that would have taken otherwise two, maybe three, maybe even more years. This paradigm shift to digital has made the role of cybersecurity as a global public good even more pronounced. We all know, but still pay insufficient attention to the frightening scenario of a comprehensive cyber attack, which would bring to a complete halt to the power supply, transportation, hospital services, our society as a whole. 
the COVID-19 crisis would be seen in this respect as a small disturbance in comparison to a major cyber attack. Our existing fragmented global architecture is not fit anymore for purpose in the 21st century. It's high time for a great reset. Change is not happening. We have a choice to stay passive and see the negative trends unravel. Inequality, polarization, nationalism, racism. If we do not stop those trends, will lead to a post-corona world that definitely is less sustainable, less equal, and much more fragile. On the other hand, we can instead use our time to reimagine our world and build a new social contract. We need a great reset that will shape a much more resilient system for the post-corona era. Thoughts? Well, listening, listening back to it again and concentrating on it more, I actually think it was very interesting the way that he put it because he's actually said very little. Mm-hmm. Now, we know what his motives are, but he hasn't said it in that speech, so he, therefore he can't be pinned down by it. Does that make sense? Yeah, like, like yeah, if, think if you're a lawyer, if your lawyer was writing a speech, he'd say, say, say these things and you can't be pinned for it. Yeah. So the subtext of that, of that statement was that due to the fortunate circumstances around the COVID-19 pandemic, they've been able to accelerate the paradigm shift towards a digital world in a matter of months whereas it without the pandemic it could have taken two three four maybe even more years to do that uh but also that reliance on the digital world leaves you so vulnerable to a the frightening scenario of a massive cyber attack and the thing that's fascinating about that, because that, so that speech, I'm pretty sure was in 2021 at the World Economic Forum, is when he made that speech. So obviously you've had COVID kick off in 2020, uh, and then what did we do during COVID? We locked down, we, again, demonized cash, so you had to use your, your card or electronic means of um, transacting everywhere. So getting rid of cash, that's part of the World Economic Forum agenda, because they want to be able to track every single one of your uh, transactions. So we got rid of cash, we went to things like vaccine passports, so all of a sudden you had to have a vaccine, you had to tap your passport everywhere you went, otherwise you weren't allowed in certain areas. Got used to scanning QR codes. Yep, so, so they'll... Got, got, got uh, used to seeing green ticks for good, yep. red cross for bad. Yeah. Um, had to ask permission to go inside of places and outside of places. Mm-hmm. Had various places that were open, a lot that were not... Um, having workers divided into essential and non-essential workers yep. had in a lot of places restrict, restrictions on movements of how far out of town you um, you could go mm-hmm. and for certain definitely reasons. a reduction in working out like there was really very large movement on not working out no gym no walks no like a lot of that stuff mm-hmm. 
only big box trash stores were uh, available for food, or fast food was available for food. Yep, so during a global health crisis, you could not open your fruit and veggie store because only the big box stores could open, but you could open your McDonald's, you could open mm-hmm. uh, drive through bottles, uh, bottle shops, so you could get your fast food, you could get your alcohol, but anything healthy, gyms, like you said, they're all closed. So basically, it sounds like whether or not the World Economic Forum had anything to do with the COVID-19 pandemic and on kicking it off, they have at least uh, taken the opportunity that the COVID-19 pandemic gave them to start this paradigm shift towards an author- authoritarian dystopian control state globally, which is what they're trying to do. And it's fascinating that even though that speech happened in 2021, what is our government talking about now? We want to go to more digital stuff. Like you said, those digital driver's licenses came in after that. Um, We've now got, we're talking about digital identification. We're talking about central bank digital currencies and all the the Western world. But this is, it's even more nuts than that when I think about it like this. And this is something I'm interested to get your thoughts on this. What I find really surprising when we talk about COVID, right, Mm -hmm. is we pick we pick a a point well the, the public I'll, i'm going to call it the the um the blue pill public tends to pick a particular moment in time and they say you know uh a point of defense or or where they see is the start of where that that issue lies and the example i'll give is people often say they had to give people money because all the businesses were shut down yeah Okay, that's where people start. Okay, I get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. We've got inflation problems now, so they go back and say the government had to give us money because they closed us down. Yeah. What they don't go and say is that, and and what I find interesting about what what our friend Klaus said, the, he said, um, you know, that it will make COVID sound like it's not that bad, but it it wasn't COVID that was was the problem. Mm. It was the way governments handled it. That's that was right. The problem. Yeah. The government was worse than the disease. Yeah. The policies put in place were way worse than the disease. The policies have done have had more uh, uh, have done more debt or more damage to society mm-hmm. than what COVID ever did. Yep. But it's interesting where people will pick up that inflection point because that was only said to me again this week. Where oh no, they had yeah. to give us money, and I'm like, well, hold on, take a step back. If the government ever closed us down, we wouldn't have had to get any money. That's right. So they start defending from a point downstream of the problem that the government itself created. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Which that's all just part of the programming too, right? It's it's interesting too, because one of the things that I in particular was heavily criticised about very early on in the pandemic through this show, before we got really banned on YouTube was when I spoke about the fact that I could see that this was becoming the largest wealth transfer in history from the middle and lower class to to the upper class. Mm. I got so much pushback on that. And it's it's absolutely happened. Like, look at where we're at now. The entire inflation crisis that we're dealing with today is because of the government's response to COVID, because they printed way too much money, and again, this is something that I said at the time, every single COVID mitigation product that they purchased, whether it was vaccines, masks, rat tests, PPE, whatever, every single one of those contracts was given to an overseas provider. 
Yeah. So every single dollar that they printed for the COVID response, printed, deflated the value of our money and was then sent overseas. So it wasn't even put in the pocket of an Australian who could funnel it back into our own economy. It was sent overseas so you couldn't track it. Alex mentioned on the show last week, we ordered somewhere in the vicinity of 250 million doses from the original purchase contracts uh, with these uh, vaccine manufacturers. And I'm pretty sure at the last count, something like 60 to 65 million of these doses are even administered, which means almost 200 million of these doses or uh, 80% of the doses that we ordered were not used. That yeah. is a, and again, we printed money to pay for these things and 80% of it we've never even used. All of these issues come from government. So you can't defend government. You just can't. Because yeah, don't, do, don't defend the downstream response that's right. to something they fucked up. Because we were saying it at the time. The biggest benefit that we had in Australia was we're on a fucking island. We are, we are cut off from the rest of the world. If they just closed our international borders we would have been cut off from the rest of the world and we could sit back and watch. And that largely happened at the beginning of the pandemic. We didn't see COVID cases in the, in the country until almost a year into the pandemic. So what were we able to do? We were able to assess the data that was coming out of the other countries, particularly the countries that got hit the hardest. And what did the data say early on? It primarily affected old people or obese people. We spoke about that towards the end of 2020. That's what the data was showing. So the problem is, when you defend government for the responses that they made, where they were like, oh, we need to protect people. No, 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 no. You needed to not take away people's individual rights. That's what you needed to do. You needed to give people the choice as to whether or not they were going to risk going out to get COVID so they could keep their small business going, which small business used to be the lifeblood of this country. They're almost non-existent now. Like, it's one of the biggest reasons why we are dealing with an inflation crisis with uh, companies that are making record profits because there's no competition in the marketplace anymore. The pandemic got rid of that. Um, you only have to look at what happened with Qantas and Virgin, for example. Qantas, um, I think it was Virgin, uh, Qantas wanted a bailout. They got $2 billion. Virgin wanted a payout, a bailout of only about $300 million, and the government rejected them and they folded. So the and then how much profit did Qantas report? $1.4 billion. Hmm. So the government picked and chose who were essential businesses and who weren't. They, they printed money, they took your taxes and they gave it to their mates. Don't defend these people. Because as soon as you start trying to justify this stuff saying, oh, they didn't know, well, guess what? It means they're going to do it to you again. And one of the stories that we're going to get to a little bit later in the program is about how the Victorian Labor government under Dan Andrews profiled their own citizens and how they used these profiles as the justification for the decisions they were making. Because at the end of the day, it all came down to what the government could get away with, not what was the right decision to make based on science for the people. Now let's go to Victoria, where it's been revealed that a senior Andrews government bureaucrat described Victorians who were opposed to COVID-19 lockdowns as believing, quote, tyrannical government is the enemy and embracing fantastical conspiracy theories had said they chose individual rights ahead of... I'm just going to say, I hate this guy. I hate this I dude hate, too. I yeah. hate his voice. He's got one of the most punchable faces in media yeah. and his voice sucks, but anyway... Yeah collective rights 
Sorry, I thought this was a democracy. Joining me to get across the details of this outrage is Libertarian member of the Victorian Legislative Council, David Limbrick. David, welcome to the program. Take us through the details of what has been revealed here. Well, the government was definitely listening to doctors, but in this case, they're listening to spin doctors. Um, what we saw throughout the pandemic was a bunch of authoritarian health bureaucrats who gave the government uh, these directions based on a single metric, which was uh, to stop the number of transmissions. Of course, they, they would do everything within their power to, to go ahead with that. Now, what we were wondering all along is how was, how was the government measuring the proportionality? You know, did they have some sort of... Just have a look, Jason, at the bottom of... Uh, for audio listeners, what does it say at the bottom of the video? Lockdown profiling of Victorian citizens. What does it say below that? As in the next tweet. Nope. Uh, oh, cyclone warning. More information, go to www.bomb.gov.au slash Australia slash warnings. There you go. Principles framework where they care about individual rights, where they, um, you know, don't want to act like a tyrannical government. Um, but now we find out that actually the limiting factor was a, a bunch of focus groups that effectively informed the government on how much they could get away with. And that seems to have been the limiting factor. And this is really scary because one of the things that um, also came up was that they categorised people into these five categories. And you had category one and two, which were like uh, basically compliant people who will do what the government tells them. Category three, which was sort of, they were people that were on the fence and the government felt like they could influence them. It seems like most of the government messaging was directed towards them. And government four and five, well, I suppose I'm in that category who was uh, standing up against what we see as tyrannical government. And the government just wrote these people off effectively. They didn't believe that they could convince them of anything and uh, they effectively threw them off. We spoke about that. Yeah. We spoke about how the, 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 it got to the point where they had so much momentum, you know, that 96% double dosed was enough to be able to like overwhelm the middle that, um, Remember, remember, we spoke about it was like the terminology or the, the, the words that they used was like, um, you know, together we can do this. Don't do it for you. Do it for grandma. Like it was yeah. all, it was all like a, a collective um, um, framework. It was... And then it stopped. Remember that at the start, they were really aiming for the people that hadn't been vaccinated. And then they just like stopped. They realized we were like category fives. Yeah. And then they're like, man, don't worry about it. Just get boosters into the people that have already got it. That's right. Yeah. It was it literally My when you go back to that time, and it's one of the best things about this show because you'll be able to experience it in real time if you go back and rewatch it. But they stepped through the like four steps of manipulation. And step one was like, and this is particularly when the vaccine rollout came out. So step one was get the vaccine to protect yourself. And then they, they assessed how many people were getting the vaccine. And when they realized they weren't getting enough uptake, the next step was get it to protect everyone else. So don't want to kill granny. You got to go and get vaccinated to protect the people around you. The next step after that was then um, you have to get it. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to do certain things. Mm. So you're not going to be able to go to restaurants. You're not going to be able to uh, go to work, etc., etc. And then step four was forced. So then it was that was when they were take, like doing vaccine mandates, taking away people's right to work, um, earn a living, etc., etc., etc. So they literally stepped this out, in, not in a scientific manner, 
but in a psychological manner designed to uh, basically convert as many people as they possibly could. But like you said, as soon as they realized those people in the category four and five weren't buying it, what did they do? They demonized those people to shift the focus off the fact that the government was causing all the problems in the first place. So you remember, uh, whenever there was an outbreak of COVID, who do they blame? The anti-vaxxers. Oh, it's these anti-lockdown protesters, these anti-vax cookers who are out there spreading the virus. But yeah, the f- even though it was the gym, the first outbreak after the lockdown was a fully vaccinated gym in Sydney. Well, that, I was going to say the funniest part for all of us cookers was when, um, remember in Queensland when you had the um, apartheid state, when apartheid came in and um, literally the vaccinated were allowed to go out and do whatever they wanted and the unvaccinated weren't. And all of a sudden there was all these super spreader events at fully vaccinated only events. But, but again, any of us who were just paying attention to the data and what was happening, you could see early on, like three to four months after the vaccine rollout started, there was breakthrough cases coming through. You could see all that stuff. But, but all the other thing too, it had, operation. it had nothing to do with curing or stopping the virus. That's right. They said, they, the, the terminology they use, and I reckon that this was, and I, I don't know if we, I've, I've articulated it this way before, but I think they did it very purposefully to be able to say... Like, their whole push was about getting the vaccines in. Yeah. That was the number one priority. Uh, getting, what was it called? What was the campaign called? Um, getting not, getting jabs in arms. Yeah, yeah, but it was like, I'll stop, uh, uh, keep, so nothing could stop the vaccine rollout. Yeah. That was, that was the absolute key. It wasn't reducing disease. It wasn't doing, it was just like, and that's why that ivermectin ban came in. It yep. said it would make people reluctant to get them or might make people reluctant therefore we yep. need to ban a thing yep. it was never about it and, and that's this is interesting I'll continue playing it yep. under the bus uh, David I think you're probably a six in my book but you'd be congratulated for that <laughs> um, if I'm reading all of this right then it sounds like what they tried to do here is basically scare the people as much as they could into giving up as many of their rights divided the population into believers and non-believers and then when it came time to start to unwind the restrictions then did they use these focus groups again to decide you know when people were comfortable with not being scared anymore yeah, it seems like they used the focus groups on the way out as well, like quite late in the pandemic, to try and figure out, you know, which sort of freedoms would people be uh, happiest, to be, uh, you know, to get back? You know, are they able to go to the park and maybe watch a sunset again or go and have dinner with their friends? Uh, the, 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 the crazy thing here, and this is the scary thing and why it's relevant to get to the bottom of this, is what I fear is that government has learned Uh, what they can get away with and how to get away with stuff and how to get away with trampling individual rights. And they'll do it again. Like, they'll do it for people who, you know, are they they already categorising us for other things? You know, our belief in global boiling and these other things? Like, we don't know. And, you know, is this standard operating procedure for the government now? It's, It's hard to know. Well, and does it just very quickly make you worried when you hear people talk about, you know, anything from a digital ID to, um, you know, a a future pandemic, that all of this has now set up a playbook for bureaucrats to make an emergency worse than it might be uh, in order to then start to acquire more power again? Can you pause that for a sec? Um, 
Um, just on that note, one thing that I will remind our viewers of as well, that Victorian pandemic, le uh, pandemic legislation is still sitting there. That's still oh, approved. That's still ready to go. And that legislation, if you don't, um, if you remember it correctly, literally said that the Premier, not a health official, Chief Health mm. Officer or anyone, a Premier can um, declare a state of emergency at any time if there is a disease outbreak in the world anywhere that the Premier deems as of being of pandemic potential. So that's still sitting there, that legislation's sitting there ready to go if they ever want to declare a state of emergency, they don't even need to get health advice to do it. All they have to do is say, we're doing this to save lives and it looks like they can get the category ones and twos across the line. Um, it's, a, it's a very scary scenario. Of course, I think that the solution is we need to start looking at the grand project of winding back the power of the state. The scale, uh, the scale and power of the state is too large. Uh, we need to start winding it back and start talking about reducing the size of government. Well, here, here, David Limbrick, thank you so much for... So I'm all about that. Yeah. We've just said it was the government that fucked it up, right? So why, why would we listen to them again? Mm -hmm. And why do we need them? TGA, we don't need no. We, we, we've proven that that, that organisation, that doesn't work. Yeah. Get rid of them. Um, like, how many... Afuera. We need to ask about <laughs> afuera-ing some, um, uh, some of these agencies because they suck. Now, if you... Let's... The best case scenario is they're incompetent. That's the best case scenario. Yeah. The worst case scenario is they meant to do it. That's right. They were in on it. Either which way, the guts to go. Afuera. Yeah. Yep. Um, just on that vein too, we didn't have a resource for this, but I'm gonna I'm gonna read it out. Um, so Senator Jared Rennick just posted on his uh, social media. Uh, the FDA released the final batch of documents it relied upon in licensing Pfizer's Comirnaty COVID-19 vaccine for ages 16 and up, more than 800 days after the agency approved the shot. The recent documents disclosed as part of a, of a Freedom of Information Act lawsuit against the US FDA. I found it. I found it. You found it? Yep. Cool. We'll bring it up for uh, any of our viewers that want to actually look at it. It is. I don't think it actually gives you the... You have to actually it'll... click on the article itself. So click the picture. While you transport that out, I'll keep oh, reading. Oh, it's... Hold on. It's... Yeah, there you go. I got it. Here we go. Okay. So yeah, more than 800 days after the agency approved the shot, the documents are finally in the hands of the public where they belong, the Informed Consent Action Network said in a press release. Now, independent scientists and researchers can see everything FDA saw when it made its decision that the vaccine was safe and effective, in quotes. Uh, the recent documents discloses... Oh, my audio is just wigging out. Hold on, guys, let's pause this and we'll come back. Alright, uh, the recent documents disclosed as part of the Freedom of Information lawsuit against the US FDA show the agency knew its safety monitoring system was not sufficient for assessing the risk of heart conditions associated with Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine when it licensed the company's Comirnaty vaccine. Uh, documents also reveal numerous manufacturing problems in Pfizer batches released to the public and show the FDA knew about a phenomenon known as vaccine-associated enhanced disease, or VAED, in those vaccinated who experience breakthrough COVID-19. 
FDA knew safety monitoring system was not sufficient. Federal health agencies claim COVID-19 vaccines are part of the most intensive vaccine safety monitoring effort in US history. With continuous and robust safety monitoring that helps ensure that the vaccine's benefit outweigh any risks. Yet, the final documents released from Pfizer's biologic product file reveal the agency knew its safety monitoring system was not sufficient to assess the serious risk of myocarditis and pericarditis associated with Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine. An FDA memo in the 51,893 pages. Now, just, just as a reminder for all of you at home, this is the documentation that they wanted 75 years to release. Mm. Uh in the pages of disclosures specifically address the agency's CBER, C-B-E-R, Sentinel Initiative and its ability to evaluate the risk for myocarditis and pericarditis following COVID-19 vaccination. The Sentinel program is the FDA's national electronic system used to monitor the safety of its regulated products and is a major part of the agency's mission to protect public health. The memo states, the CBER Sentinel program is not sufficient to assess the serious risk of myocarditis and pericarditis and subclinical myocarditis associated with the vaccine in lieu of PMR safety studies. Oh, what just happened? Sorry, there? sorry, sorry, sorry. sorry. Uh, hold on. I clicked the link to try and read the other thing. Oh, well, that's hold unfortunate, on, isn't on. it? Hold on. We're going back. We're going back. We're going back. We're going back. I thought it was just going to open it for me. No. Uh, here we go. So not sufficient to assess the serious risk of myo and pericarditis and subclinical myocarditis associated with the vaccine. In lieu of PMR safety studies under FDAAA, Food and Drug Administration Amendments Act, at the time of the BLA, or Biologics License Application Approval, the data sources in the CBER Sentinel program are not sufficient to identify the outcomes due to lack of sufficient power to assess the magnitude of risk in patients 12 to 30 years of age. In addition, CBER Sentinel program is not sufficient to follow up cases for recovery status and long-term sequelae, or for identification and characterization of subclinical myocarditis cases. Now, before we continue on, one of the main reasons why all these systems aren't adequate to assess these things is because we never even tested people for it. At not one point, and for any of you who are vaccinated or anyone who knows anyone who is vaccinated, ask those people, hey, after you got your vaccine, did your doctor ever invite you back for um, testing as to whether or not you had subclinical myocarditis or any of these other issues? There was zero. And then the people who did report having issues after the vaccine were gaslit and were told it was to do with COVID and nothing to do with the vaccine. Continue Remember on. when they said, oh, well, if your heart hurts, that means it's working? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, cardiac disorders higher in vaccine trial groups. This is something we mentioned last week on the show. According to an August 23rd, 2021, so remembering this is over two years ago, BLA Clinical Review Memorandum, there were more cardiac disorders in trial participants who received the vaccine compared to the placebo group and more instances of tachycardia in the younger vaccinated age group. Cardiac conditions were reported as the cause of death in nine participants 25 to 128 days after having received at least one dose of Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine, including seven cases of cardiac arrest, one case of cardiovascular disease, and one case of congestive heart failure. Five cardiac-related deaths in the placebo group occurred 15 to 81 days after having received the placebo, including two cases of myocardial infarction, one aortic rupture, and two cardiac arrests. In Can quote. I just, just a quick note? Yeah. And I, I don't want to derail it, but something I... Um, 
I think I want to start selling placebos. What, because you want to kill people too? Well, you get the same result. Mm. You get the same result. What's cheaper? Uh, Saline solution? Or whatever this mRNA bullshit is? You'd have to look into whether or not anyone's patented the, the formulation of placebo. Well, mine would be different. <laughs> mine would be M placebo. Yeah, a different set of nothing. Yeah. Um, uh, bec- in quotes, because COVID-19 mRNA and its spike protein are found in the human heart at autopsy causing inflammation and heart damage, it is incontrovertible that the COVID-19 vaccines are cardiotoxic. Cardiologist Dr. Peter McCullough told the Epoch Times in an email. Uh... Younger individuals with, he- with healthy hearts take up more of the damaging vaccine into the cardiac tissue, resulting in symptoms of chest pain, palpitations, fluctuations in blood pressure, dizziness, and sadly, some end up with cardiac arrest either during exercise or in the early morning waking hours. At both time periods, an internal surge of adrenaline appears to be the trigger for the fatal arrhythmia in those with ca- COVID-19 vaccine myocarditis, he added. This is one of the main reasons why the um, heart attacks and stuff seem to affect a lot of the younger people. I don't necessarily think it's anything to do with them getting more regularly damaged hearts. I think it's to do with the fact that they are more likely to be physically active. So everyone's got the heart damage, but the more physically active people are more likely to put more stress on the heart, causing a cardiac arrest. Do we need to go on? I know there's, it's it's a lot of the same stuff. I just but... want to do the next bit. Vaccines released despite manufacturing issues. Uh, according to the Pfizer-Andover response to Form FDA-483, included in the release documents, numerous manufacturing issues and inadequacies in quality oversight were also identified. Several batches of COVID-19 vaccines were flagged for deviating from product quality standards, yet the affected batches were released to the public in various lots, the numbers of which were redacted. In November 2021, whistleblower Brooke Jackson, who worked, and we covered this on the show who worked as a regional director at testing sites by Pfizer contractor Ventavia, told the British Medical Journal that Pfizer's trial was riddled with issues. Ms. Jackson said the company falsified data, unblinded patients, employed inadequately trained vaccinators, and was slow to follow up on adverse events reported in Pfizer's pivotal phase 3 trial. Ms. Jackson, a trained clinical study trial uh, auditor with more than 15 years of experience in clinical research, coordination, and management, emailed a complaint to the FDA and was fired later that day. She subsequently filed a lawsuit against Ventavia and Pfizer, alleging Pfizer had defrauded the government while developing its COVID-19 vaccine. And then obviously the next section is about the FDA acknowledging the vaccine-associated enhanced disease. So for the layman out there, break it down. Vaccine-associated enhanced disease. It means if you get... The more vaccines you get, not only the more likely are you to get COVID but the more serious a case of COVID you're going to receive. So in summary, what I want people to keep in mind about this, all of this documentation, the FDA had before they approved the vaccine. They knew all of this before they approved the vaccine. And then as Alex said in the last block, the TGA over here just took the FDA's word for it because we didn't do any of our own testing over here. So you're right, we don't need the TGA because we can just choose to take dangerous drugs whenever we want anyway yeah i i could not read shit too yeah but 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 remember the vaccine rollout over here we were assured constantly by scott morrison and by greg hunt the health minister at the time that these vaccines have gone through the same rigorous safety testing and blah 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 it was all bullshit but but worse still and like you said again earlier in the show the question is to is to whether or not these people didn't know or they were in on it 
And the yeah. fact that the FDA knew all of this stuff before releasing the vaccines and approving them, it means that people in the FDA were in on it. They had to have been. And there's a, a um, the famous case of, I think it's Scott Galloway, I think is his name, correct me if I'm wrong in the chat, um, who was in the FDA. Oh, sorry, no, he was on um, Donald Trump's vaccine advisory team. And then after approving the vaccines and getting Operation Warp Speed sorted out, he went and got a job with Pfizer. I think he's on Pfizer's board. So there's that revolving door of like uh, health regulators and pharmaceutical companies and these big executives just go back and forth between the two because they know everyone, they can grease the wheels and get these things approved. That's why I'm, I'm so with what Limbrick said. Like, yep. they ain't your daddy. We need, to, we need to take it upon ourselves. We need to understand the information that we're getting from them is not the full, the full story. Yep. Remember Jacinda Ardern saying like, we are the center for information. Come yeah. to us. Your we are the source only trusted source. The single source of truth it was all bullshit yeah i had like there's this is like proof that they had no idea all they did <laughs> all they did yeah but and they, it was not what they said to us and the thing you have to ask as well is when you when you're weighing up the uh probabilities of whether or not they were in on it or they had no idea you have to ask yourself why is it that every single premier that was in power when these things were forced on their populations, why have every single one of them jumped before they got voted out of the election? And Jacinda Ardern's one of those two. I've never seen that. I've never seen that in my life. Because they don't do it. The premiers are on like $450,000 plus perks. Why would you give that gig up? Why? Like, and so the most recent... I dare say the gigs they're going to are better. Maybe. 450 grand is a lot of money. It's not. It's not when you sold when you sold two billion dollars worth of vaccines. Yeah, well, yeah, that that is going to be the next question, isn't it? And again, like when you look at our Albanese government, one of the things that uh, Albo ran on was transparency and how he promised to be a far more transparent government than Scott Morrison. And the national cabinet that they created during COVID, which was a sales meeting that the prime minister and all the premiers could sit in and basically talk about how to get their vaccine numbers up, get those sales numbers up. Like Albo's still using national cabinet now. So it's literally a way of them circumventing democracy by having secret meetings, talking about how to run the country. That's definitely not in the Australian people's best interest, but they're still doing it now. Afuera. Yeah. Afuera. All of these motherfuckers. Yeah. Um, last story, just on that vein, Queensland has a new premier. Congratulations to Stephen Miles. And I already used this terminology before, but I'm going to use it again has the most punchable face in Australian politics. This dude is just a fucking loser. Mind yeah. you, there's, there's a lot of these guys in, in politics that are. I was talking, to, um, I was talking to Dad about this the other day. Think of the just uh, sea of beta males that we have in our government at the moment. So you've got Stephen Miles as the Premier of Queensland. You've got Energy Minister Chris Bowen. You've got Bill Short and whatever fucking job he's doing at the moment. Um, who else is there? I, don't, I can't even remember all their names because they're all just... Oh, Albo. They're just a bunch of losers. Yeah, yeah. Every single one of these guys should not be in a position of power because you know they're going to abuse it because they have zero power in their own regular lives because they're just a bunch of fucking losers. I was surprised that Stephen Miles got it purely because he was at the front of the COVID line. So is he just a useful idiot 
Because they know he's going to get voted out. I think you so. Think that's what it is. The rumors are that he's done a deal with the unions as well. So there'll be there'll be some uh, drink that the unions will end up getting from him having the top job that they may not have gotten if he wasn't. Yeah, I was. Did I mention that last last show? I was so surprised. No, I don't know why I was surprised because I know that this is the thing, but I just found it so weird that they openly talked about it, which was when there was when Palaszczuk quit. They had to clear... Labor had to clear their choice with the Labor union. Yeah. And I was like, why are we okay with that? Yeah, I know. And, like, we've got all these so caps that, on political mean... donations for minor parties. And the the Labor... Everybody knows the Labor Party is tied directly to the unions and the unions fund them. Does that mean that anyone can start an organisation? No. And gather money? No, because there's rules against it. It's in the in the election um, the election donation laws. It's got all of these things in it about how uh, organisations and stuff still have to adhere to these uh, caps, like donation caps. But it's specifically written into the legislation that the unions are exempted from that. So they they just stacked the system. You have to be a la- labour union. Can you just be a union of a car dealers union? I'm sure there's laws against it. Just mm. designed to obviously keep that two-party preferred status. Um, but but our fearless leader in Queensland, because we are Queenslanders, Stephen Miles, in his first tweet that he put up since becoming the Premier of Queensland, he said this, and I'm paraphrasing, uh, the Labor government is taking more steps to decrease cost of living for Queenslanders. So we are announcing that we are freezing registration costs. Not removing, not discounting. We're just not putting the price up next year. Thanks, Stephen. That's going to fucking solve the cost of living crisis in Queensland. I will, I'm going to say something that's uh, going to be controversial. Mm-hmm. I have been happy with Labor's federal um strategy not the not this current one where they're talking about um removing a bunch of payments and uh kiboshing a bunch of infrastructure and upping some taxes and curbing immigration and i know it's what you said they it's doing it to protect their their election yeah because but now that's the downhill the right. run towards your election so that's, that's all the stuff is. that you're supposed to be doing yeah, but that's the stuff that you just need to do all the time. But but again, politically-wise, we saw what happened when someone in Australia came in and tried to do all this stuff just off the bat, and that was Campbell Newman. And look at how people thought about Campbell Newman when he yeah, came Yeah, I think in. he lasted 18 minutes in... Um, yeah, well, he came through and gouged the public sector. And again, it needed to happen. It still needs to happen now. But I think he's like the test case for all these politicians going, fuck, I'm not... I'm not coming in here and doing the right thing for five minutes and getting shunted out. I need yeah. to worry about myself. Um, and so that's why, yeah, you're only seeing all these announcements from Albo now about capping, like changing the immigration system, saying the immigration system's broken and needing to reduce immigration down to more sustainable levels. Uh, there were, yeah, putting more taxes on foreign ownership of properties, which in a way too, like... I don't know if it's the right way to go. It doesn't really solve the problem. It just means the government's going to make more money off foreign investment in properties. I don't think. That... Well, I think they should. I think they should do that. 
I, I do think they should do that. I, uh, I think it was I agree. empty properties, wasn't it? it? No, it was it was empty and purchasing. So it was yeah. both. But I agree, as long as the government spends the money on the right things and actually... They're not, Jason. They're never going to exactly. do that. Exactly. So what's the point of extra taxes if it's not going to change the... Um... Because it looks better than taxing the Australians. Yeah, I guess so. That's guess the so. reason why I should do it. I guess so. Except all of these foreign investors who do rent these places out are just going to pass those extra taxes on to their renters. Yeah. 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 It's a shit show. It is an absolute shit show. But on that note, thank you very much for joining us, guys, and we will see you next week. See you later.